It's said that your real life begins where your comfort zone ends. Well, it's about to get real as we have radically authentic conversations to help you thrive in your personal and professional life while navigating the twists and turns of being human. Buckle up, because this might get uncomfortable. Starts right now with Whitney Lordson. One of the cool things about doing a podcast and putting out the messages and perspectives and pontifications and explorations we do here on This Might Get Uncomfortable is we've noticed we have people who are longtime listeners, longtime fans of the show. And if it's your first time listening, welcome to the podcast. If you've been with us for any episodes in the past, we often ask you, the listener, to email us or direct message us with any suggestions about topics, burning topics that you feel you want to have us cover here on the show. And this past week, we received an email from a longtime listener who has emailed us before with his feedback and praise and perspectives on on the show. And Ryan, we will withhold his last name, Ryan responded with a really great email with probably about six really interesting topic suggestions. And when Whitney and I were looking at these suggestions and deciding what to do, one in particular, all of them compelling, one in particular hit me in a, a pretty visceral way. And I think that here on the podcast, having that kind of an emotional response to a topic or a subject matter is, is something we like to follow. So one of Ryan's suggestions that he emailed us is he wanted to have us do an episode about what keeps us up at night. And I think the reason that I had a visceral reaction, first of all, Ryan, if you're listening, which I'm going to assume that you are, thanks for the great suggestions. This idea of what keeps us up at night is is interesting to me, I think, for several reasons. Number one, I have had an ongoing struggle with insomnia and sleep issues for probably five years now-ish for different reasons. And I tend to be a human being who will go through my day and not necessarily process all of my emotions during the daylight hours. It seems that for some reason, when I start winding down for my night routine and preparing my body and my mind for sleep, that's when everything comes up and wants to be processed. And it's like, oh, that thing that pissed you off and that thing that aggravated you and the thing you didn't communicate the way you wanted to. For me, it just kind of always seems to happen at night. And then the other thing too is not just from a physical perspective, but certainly an emotional perspective, I think there are things that have a tendency to hang out in our consciousness, things we're worried about, things we want to spend more focus and energy on, things maybe we want to change. And so when I hear this phrase, what keeps you up at night, I think there are, it's something I, I haven't really thought about in this context before. But I think if I really meditate on it, there are probably recurring specific things that I just sit and ruminate on at nighttime. And I've had to rely on a variety of rotating sleep remedies to try and get me to sleep all the way through the night. Yet, I think the same concerns seem to kind of rear their head over and over again. And I know, Whitney, you, you've talked extensively in previous episodes 
about some of the the very unique sleep issues that you've dealt with. But I think what Ryan is alluding to maybe here is much of maybe much more of an emotional or psychic type of concern rather than a physical one. So in your struggles with, I suppose, finding a good sleep routine or get to the bottom of your your sleep issues, other than Clubhouse, which since you're not really we have we've taken a break from Clubhouse, is there anything else that you find is a recurring theme that keeps you up at night or things that maybe, I don't know if plague you is the right word, but things that seem to harangue you or, or nag at your consciousness in the middle of the night? Not that I'm very aware of. It's interesting. I actually had an experience yesterday where I took a nap. I was really tired and I've been tuning into my physical sensations throughout the day a lot. And we talk so much on the show about hustle culture. And I have a very structured day for the most part. I have a to-do list most days before I go to bed. I look at the to-do list and I set an ideal schedule about when I'm going to get things done and I rank things versus importance. And that helps me stay on track And that way I'm not sitting there going, hmm, I feel like I should be doing something, but I don't know what it is. Like I just go to my to-do list and I look at it. And something that I've been reflecting a lot on though is like how can I minimize the to-do list because generally I have around 20 or so tasks for each day, which doesn't sound like a lot, but it can be very draining. So on certain days, if I have meetings, I get drained really fast. If I have training, something where I'm like using my brain in a specific way, I don't have a ton of energy left over. And yesterday, for example, I just felt very drained by like three o'clock. And in my head, I'm thinking, wow, I, I, it's too early to stop working. (laughs) Even though it was a Friday, even though I had been doing work for about six hours, I still felt like I should keep going because there were things on my to-do list. Now, if my to-do list had been empty, I probably wouldn't have felt that way. But I was reflecting yesterday and and I have do this regularly. Like, why do I feel like I need to keep working? Why can't I just bump those things to a different day? And certainly I can because I run my own businesses. I work for myself. I'm a freelancer and a consultant. So Generally speaking, I don't have a ton of deadlines, but that actually gives me anxiety, Jason. That will keep me up at night is the looming energy of things that I could be doing or the perceived shoulds, and I just want to get them done so I stop thinking about them. So yesterday, I was just too tired to work, and I recognized it wasn't just emotional and mental exhaustion. It was physical exhaustion, so I thought, all right, I'm going to sleep and that way I can wake up and do more, right? Because I really had a number of things and actually at least one thing felt, two things felt very time sensitive. So I wanted to make sure I had the energy to get up and finish them before the end of the day. And I could not fall asleep during my nap. Even though I was physically exhausted, my brain was just kept going and going. And I've noticed this. It doesn't usually happen when I go to bed at night, but for some reason naps, my brain just doesn't want to turn off. And I sit there in this like stew of anxiety. 
And I, in the moment, even though I was like on that borderline of sleep, you know, like I I felt like I was so close to falling asleep, but just couldn't quite get there because my brain was so active and I was feeling the physical sensation of anxiety in my body. I thought, all right, well, I'm not going to fall asleep if in this current state, the next best thing for me is to just reflect on and kind of like do a meditation on how I was feeling. And by doing that, I actually did get a little bit of sleep, but like not deep sleep. I kept, it was just felt on edge. And even describing it right now, I feel so frustrated. I feel tension talking about this. And it was fascinating because I don't know if you experienced this, Jason, but there are these different levels of consciousness. I have like my wide awake consciousness, like right now is my normal state of being when I'm not sleeping. I know what it feels like to sleep because I I remember like what it feels like before I slept and what it felt like after. So like I kind of know some on some level what it's like to be asleep, if that makes sense. I know what it's like to wake up in the middle of the night. In my case, I sleep talk and sleepwalk. Usually I the sleep talking I'm not super conscious for, but I have a certain level of consciousness when I sleepwalk and I know what that feels like too because I've experienced it often enough. And then there's this in-between state, Jason, of being awake and falling asleep. Do you know what I'm talking about? It's like sometimes it happens really quickly. In fact, I would say for most times for me, it's really fast. I don't know how long the period of time is. I think I've tried to calculate it, how long it takes me to fall asleep. I would guess five to 10 minutes, maybe. Like once I, if at a certain time, I know when my body's tired, I don't have an exact time that I go to bed every night, but I generally fall asleep in this time range and I just wait till I'm tired and then I go to bed (laughs) and then I wake up and that's just like the rhythm that I'm having. So because of that schedule, I feel like I can fall asleep faster because I've tuned in to the intuition of my body. But yesterday, that anxiety was interesting because it was like this prolonged, extended feeling of not being awake and not being asleep. And it's almost like purgatory. It felt so unpleasant and frustrating. And I was like, I don't want to wake up. I don't want to open my eyes. And you know this feeling? I know you must know this because you struggle with insomnia. I feel like that must be what insomnia is like, which I haven't experienced a ton of, of like wanting so badly to fall asleep and your eyes are closed, maybe wearing an eye mask as I was during my nap because it was still daylight hours. I like set up everything, my noise machine, my fan, like everything. And I didn't even set an alarm. Oftentimes an alarm gives me anxiety, like knowing I have to wake up at a certain time. I said, nope, I'm just going to sleep. I'm telling done sleeping. However, if that's hours, that's fine because I want to wake up from this nap feeling rested. But I probably laid there for about an hour in that weird like purgatory state, just like I felt like I was swimming in anxiety and that was just so unpleasant. But the other thing I'll say before you share, if you've had this experience, Jason, is like, it's like this weird, and the reason I wanted to reflect on it now, but also the reason I was sitting and reflecting on it in the moment was that 
it was like this weird level of consciousness that like I'm not normally aware of, if this makes sense. Like it was like I went into <laughs> like literally sunk down into a different part of my being in a different state where all my underlying anxiety lives, you know, because my conscious state is generally pretty light and happy and like my normal days, I'm, I feel content at least at this period of my life. But like, I felt like I like sunk down into another level of myself where all my hidden anxiety is. And that reminds me, something I've been wanting to explore more is high functioning anxiety, which I think I have. It's a term I've seen thrown around and I haven't like dug into it enough, but it sounds about right. Because a number of things about me just feel like I'm probably experiencing anxiety all the time, but I'm like not aware of it. And yesterday I'm like, wow, there's probably a lot more anxiety within myself that I don't even realize because I'm so good at functioning. I'm so good at masking it from others and myself. And I also believe it's possible that I trained myself as a coping mechanism to not acknowledge the anxiety because I felt like if I acknowledged it, that that was a weakness or that I wasn't allowed to acknowledge it, that there was something wrong with me, that there was shame within it. So it was like I buried it and pushed it away and pushed it away. And that might be at the root of my sleep disorder of sleepwalking and sleep talking that I don't often have the conscious ability to address because I don't get into that sunken level that I'm describing that I, I often experience during naps, which actually makes me want to put myself in a nap state more often, Jason. It's kind of like, uh, what's that Christopher Nolan document or not documentary <laughs> movie inception. It's like, can I, I don't know. It's it's not quite exactly it, but it's like, can we put ourselves in a trance, in a state in order to address some of these things that people either never address or only address on drugs or, you know, like, I think this is the appeal of something like ayahuasca. It's like you put yourself, you're forcing yourself into a state. And I believe it must be possible, kind of like lucid dreaming. If we can, and we've talked about this on the show a little bit. In a long time ago, but if we can put ourselves into that mental state where we're, we're aware and we're like in our dreams with awareness, which is just so cool. What about that in-between state of that purgatory feeling that I'm describing? Like I could purposely put myself in that unpleasant state and almost like look at myself as two separate people, if that makes sense. Like the anxious Whitney and like the unanxious Whitney can like they coexist and like heal each other. It's super interesting because what you're talking about is, you know, different aspects of psyche then. And also what is that place? I mean, some people call it like the veil. Some people call it the world between worlds or that this place that you're describing in between sleep and wake is like another dimension of consciousness altogether. And it's interesting because I feel like with my insomnia, this is going to sound strange, but there's kind of benefits to this particular thing keeping me up. And I find that you really accurately described how I feel about it, which is I feel tired, 
my eyes are closed, the room is dark, I've got my white noise on, I've got my diffuser going, I've got all the things that would I would anticipate would make me sleepy, yet I am not sleeping. But in that foggy, strange world between worlds, sometimes really cool things come through. And I, so full disclosure, I do keep my phone in my bedroom as an alarm clock, even though there's a lot of advice saying we ought not do that. Although it is on airplane mode and it is, you know, five feet away from the foot of the bed. I mean, it's, it's far enough away from me. I'm not concerned about it. But the trouble is in this world between worlds, in this insomniatic, murky dream state, not sleep, whatever it is, uh, great creative ideas will come through. And then inevitably, I need to get up and record the idea into the voice memo on my phone, which makes it even more difficult to sleep because then this, usually it's a song idea or it's a vocal melody or it's lyrics or it's poetry. It's usually something like that. And then I'll lay back down and I'll just be thinking about whatever that thing was that came through, which makes it even more difficult to sleep. So it's it's kind of a blessing and a curse. I find the state you're talking about, Whitney, because really cool stuff comes through the portal, but then I'm ruminating on that, whatever that thing is, and then can't sleep even more. Then the insomnia just gets worse. And then, you know, that's just, it's tough because it's like, yay, I like this, but then also, mm, I kind of don't like it. Behind the scenes, I am doing my research, which for those that don't know is is common. I like to dig into these subject matters as we're discussing them. There is a name for this that I am not familiar with. It's pronounced hypnagogia. Okay. And this is the state between wakefulness and sleep. And that word like gives you the creeps, I gotta say. <laughs> like when I read it, I was like, ooh. And then I looked up how to pronounce it, and I'm like, I don't even like saying it. <laughs> like it's just there's something creepy. Like as I was saying, I don't like even thinking about that state because that's to me is where the anxiety lives for me, at least as far as I'm aware right now. And I mean, it, it's pretty nuts. Like this subject matter. I don't stop to think about it that much, Jason, like consciousness, aside from, you know, light thoughts about meditation or whatever. Like, I don't really think about how we function. And it's pretty fascinating. Like when you really stop and think about what happens in our bodies, like it, it is remarkable and also blows my mind how most of us are not even don't even seem that interested <laughs> in how our bodies function. Do you know what I mean? Like, I felt like in school, I could care less. I was really passionate about psychology. So I studied brain psychology one semester of school. I did find it generally boring, but simultaneously slightly interesting just to like know what was going on in the brain. But for the most part, I I have like this surface level understanding and when you dig into things like our our brain waves, it's deeply fascinating because here we are living with this and not fully understanding what's happening within ourselves until we dive in further. So stage one is the lightest form of sleep, and that lasts for one to five minutes. So during this stage, your alpha waves drop to less than 50% of your total brain waves. And then the, let me 
how do you pronounce it again? Hypnagogia. I'm using Google pronunciation <laughs> to, to say this right. That occurs during that transitional period of wakefulness and sleep when the alpha waves are decreasing but haven't yet reached the first stage. So I love the visual of that levels of like dropping down deeper. And if you've ever done, there's a type of meditation. I don't know if it has a name or if it's just like a common practice. But you know, Jason, when like you lay down and then they'll like count down and you can feel yourself like sinking lower and lower. And you can also like imagine different body parts falling asleep. Like that is actually a great way to get into meditation and to fall asleep. What is that form of, of yoga, Jason, where it's more a meditative, like you just lay down? I feel like it starts with an A. It's yoga nidra. Nidra. Okay, there's an A at the end. Yes. So I feel like that's something they do, do in yoga nidra, which also kind of crosses over to the meditation world. So the state that I'm describing is often where people experience hallucinations, which makes it fascinating too. Like this could be visual hallucinations, auditory, tactile. They And this actually might be that state where I'm more prone to sleepwalking. Although I found through my research and timing, because I've used sleep recorders and I've actually, I've used cameras, like I've used all these different tracking mechanisms to, to track my sleep. And it usually happens about an hour to 90 minutes in. And that's like, a, I think a different state than this is describing here. But this is where people will often experience the jerks where someone's laying down their whole body jerks. You know, that muscle contractions that people will experience when they're falling asleep. Some people experience sleep paralysis. But this is also, believe it or not, Jason, a time where you can lucid dream. So it does tie into what I was describing about that awareness. If you, So this is an article from Healthline.com. So it's general kind of sweeping generalizations around all of this. But there's even a section here where it's like, is it possible to induce hypnagogia? And it says it can be a gateway for creativity. A writer, Franz Kafka, experienced dreamlike hypnagogic hallucinations while writing in a sleep-deprived state. So that also kind of ties back to what you were saying, Jason. It's like you can use sleep deprivation and the, or the hallucinations of certain states of being for creativity, including, apparently, Thomas Edison, Edgar Allan Poe, and Dolly, who used to nap with a steel ball in their hands so that they would wake up when the ball hits the floor. And apparently, there's a device called a Dormio. It's some sort of interface. Oh, it's on the hand where it looks like it can... There's a very in-depth article that I cannot summarize, but people can still hear sounds in this state, even though they're not entirely conscious. And the Dormio will will track sleep states to just decipher when people are in that state. And then it provides audio stimulus to keep them from falling into a deeper sleep. So clearly a lot of people are into this state of being, Jason, and it's just fascinating. 
Because like the first question you asked is like, what keeps you up? What makes it hard to sleep? What do you think about? Like, you know, for me, it's it's the anxiety that I'm not even trying to think about. It's just like there. I feel <laughs> I feel like when I hit that state, Jason, my anxiety is like, it's time to party. It's our time to shine. And they're all, I imagine my anxiety coming up. Hey guys, like this, she's falling asleep. <laughs> Let's get up and cause a ruckus because she won't let us do it any other time. I imagined some really gangly, scraggly looking Muppet like creatures in your mind. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> That's exactly what I was thinking. Yeah, like they need a theme song. They're like, we're the Anxiety A Team. Hello, everyone. Anxiety, it's you and me. I'll make sure that you never get sleepy. He, he, he. All those things from your childhood that you never dealt with adequately. No, I feel like you need to riff on the Muppet theme song and and or the Fraggle Rock. Like, that would be good. Oh, yeah, that would be. Yeah, but I, I can't remember the actual, uh, the verses to Fraggle Rock. Fraggle Ironically, Fraggle. doesn't it start off with dance your cares away, worries for another day? Like, it's like my anxiety Muppets would be the ex opposite of that. <laughs> <laughs> Instead of dance your cares away, it'd be like, your cares are here to stay. We're never going away. You can't get rid of us. We're here to cause a fuss. And the Muppet song's like, anxiety. Yeah, it's funny how you anthropomorphize like your anxiety. It's also a super interesting technique because. I think there's value in in taking parts of our consciousness and almost giving them an identity or even giving them a name. Who the hell? Oh, I was talking about this with Katie Dahl, who does the Crying Behind Sunglasses podcast. I guessed it on our podcast this week, and she's going to be a future guest of ours. And I told Katie that that I kind of like I find that the part of my consciousness that is really critical I realize that it's trying to protect me, so I need to speak to it in a very particular way. So I'm curious, Whitney, have you tried to talk to the Muppets? Have you actually like had a conversation with them? Well, this is what I'm saying. Like, honestly, just talking it through here is giving me these ideas on top of what I was experiencing yesterday. It's this idea of I can continue fighting against something or pushing it away trying not to acknowledge it, minimize it, or I can really acknowledge it and deal with it, which I think is one of the most healing things that we can do for our mental health. And what if instead of being angry and frustrated or scared, I just said, this is part of me, you know? And I think that's a, a really healing thing that we can do for ourselves and other, I mean, it's just about acceptance, really, we talk about that so much here instead of just fighting against what we don't agree on and what frustrates us and what makes us angry and triggers us. Like we all have that within us to feel that fear ultimately is what the root of all of this is fear of something. But if we really just stop and examine it, it's really not that scary or threatening. And maybe that's why those anxiety Muppets are there 
is because maybe they just want to have fun, <laughs> you know, and they're just want to go dance their cares away. And so what if I join them and literally start dancing my cares away with them and then they can transform into happy Muppets. I mean, for you, Jason, I feel like you've got anger Muppets. I feel like I have a lot of Muppets. I mean, there are some anger ones in there. There are some anxiety ones in there. There's some nihilistic ones in there. It's a motley crew in my brain. It's a motley crew. It really is. And for me, and I alluded to this a few minutes ago, if I kind of realize that at the core, the angry Muppets, the nihilistic Muppets, the anxiety Muppets, all the people living in my head, on some level, I think they're trying to keep me safe and protect me. Their methodologies are kind of suspect, right? It's like, you know, trying to push people away or, you know, you should get out of that relationship or you should end this thing or you should get the fuck out of that. I mean, it's really, I think at the core, sort of this subconscious desire to protect me from pain, you know, protect me from failure, protect me from something that's going to hurt. So if I kind of look at their methods as bizarre and cruel and anger filled and anxiety filled as they may be, I think these aspects of my psyche that we're talking about are trying to protect and shield in some way. You know, and so if I know that that's their intent and I know that's what they're trying to do, I can speak to them almost like a parent, right? Of like, okay, I know you're trying your best to keep me safe because you think if I do this thing, it's going to result in pain or failure or suffering or something bad. Don't do it because something bad's going to happen. You're not saying that, but your actions and what you're suggesting I do indicates a lot of worry and fear and protection, right? So if I can communicate on a level, and I've been trying to do better at that, of like, I know what you're trying to do. I don't need your protection. I don't need you to like, tell me, you know, you're going to suck. You're going to fail. This is going to go horribly. Don't even do it. Because I know at some point you're trying to protect me, right? So I think talking to these aspects of our, of our psyche is, for me, it's important. And I'm trying to do it in a way before I emotionally react and I also think like it's healthier to do this because then I feel like I'm not fighting myself, Whitney, because a lot of times I feel like if I don't talk to them in this way or acknowledge what they're trying to do, they as in the fragments of my psyche or these different personas in my brain, they kind of wreak havoc. It's almost like children. Like if you don't give me attention and you don't acknowledge what I'm trying, like, look what I did. Look at this art project. It's Jason. Don't take a risk is the title of this art project. Hey, Jason, stay at home where it's safe and don't try anything. You know, it's like they just need to, I think, be acknowledged and talked to doesn't mean they go away. It doesn't mean they don't try and keep trying to sabotage my life like little gremlins to keep me safe. But I think just having a deeper level of communication and recognition of these things, I find to be beneficial. So I do talk to myself a lot. FYI. (laughs) I think also, Whitney, I I know you're in research mode. I, I wanted to talk a little bit about another layer to this of what I think Ryan, our listener, was intending when he requested what keeps us up at night. And for me, there's some high-level existential things that always seem to come up for me at night when I'm in that insomniatic... What's the name of the word? What's the the term you introduced again? I just forgot it. Well, let me pull it up because I struggle to pronounce things like this. Hypnagogia. Thank you. Okay. So when I'm in this state of hypnagogia, I think a lot about 
the end of the world. I think a lot about my fears and my feelings of helplessness of being in a world that seems to be literally going up in flames between COVID, between what's happening in India and Brazil, between at the time of this recording, what is occurring between Israel and Palestine, the madness of the financial markets and the housing markets, my own mental health issues, unemployment, homelessness, climate change. That's a big one for me that I think about a lot is, is where do I feel safe on the planet anymore? You know, here on the West Coast, we have wildfires, we have earthquakes, we have pretty extreme, in my opinion, signs of the climate changing. And I think for me, a lot of these sort of high level concerns of humanity, I'm not so sure I can do much about them, right? It's like, oh, well, there's climate change and there's war in the Middle East and there's this pandemic. And I just sometimes feel crushed under the weight of these existential worries, Whitney. And I think it's one of the reasons I was talking to my girlfriend, Laura, about this, about about why I don't want to have children. And I said to her, I said, I think one of the biggest reasons isn't necessarily like my fear of not being a good parent. I, I think I'd be, I think I'd be a pretty good dad. I'd be fun, make a lot of jokes, do a lot of fun voices. I'd be very nurturing. It's not like the lack of, oh, you wouldn't be a good father. I think the real thing that's tied to this is I dread bringing a child into the world because of the state of the world. And in some ways, I think that our consciousness is expanding and there's a lot more talk about inclusivity, acceptance of people who have different you know, skin color, religious preferences, sexual preferences, identifications like that. There, there's good in the world. I feel crushed under the psychic weight of a lot of the destructiveness and divisiveness and war and violence and climate change, all the things that I'm talking about. These are the things that come up at 3 a.m. You wanted to know, Ryan. So here, here they are. It's a cauldron of anxiety and calamity in my brain. And I struggle and I feel like a lot of this stuff, Whitney, I know rationally. It's like, well, I can't do much about what's going on in the Middle East directly, right? Can't do much about climate change. Okay, I can reduce, reuse, recycle, I, you know, okay, eat less meat, get an electric car, blah, 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 whatever. But on the highest level, I feel like there's a dramatic level of, of powerlessness I feel around all this. So on one side, my brain is like, just let it go. The world's always been a fucking mess and there's always been concerns and there's always been war and humanity has never had it, quote, easy, okay? There's that side. But then there's the part of me of like, but I can do something and I need to figure this out at 3.30 in the morning and we have to do, it's, I don't know. I'm giving you a glimpse into like how bad the insomnia is for me sometimes and why I've had to try and shut off my brain. Because literally, if I don't try to shut off my brain and manage these things, I will not sleep. It's that bad for me. Like I will just stay up all night worrying about the state of the world and how powerless I feel in the face of everything that's going on. So I have to force myself to sleep through a variety of remedies because if I don't, I'll be up most nights worrying about these things. Maybe that's what Ryan was trying to elicit. But yeah, they're the big things. It's not, you know, it's not worrying about leftovers. It's not worrying about what I'm going to make for dinner tomorrow. It's like, what the fuck is going on with the world and why is it so fucked up? <laughs> that's what I think about. And I think that's very common. It also makes me reflect a lot on 
just, again, these different levels of consciousness. I think I experienced that too, but at a hidden level. And that's what going back to this high functioning anxiety, it's like the state that I was describing my normal daily state of being, which is generally very content and relaxed. I feel in control, but that level, perhaps the state of hypnagogia is where those feelings that you're describing exist within me, Jason. It's like I've pushed pushed them down, and I don't know if that's a good or a bad thing. I mean, the fact that I'm high-functioning means that I can get through my days feeling on the surface very happy, and like I do feel a deeper sense of contentment and peace for the most part, but I also can sense anxiety if I reflect on it long enough, and I feel it get triggered up to the surface through certain things. And it's, I get scared basically. And I think that's a lot of what you're describing from my perspective, Jason, it's a lack of security. And I also feel a general sense of like ease and, and control, which is interesting to examine because that might be a privilege. The more I examine the privilege of being white and living in America and getting the education I had and having the job opportunities and like what led to those things, my sense of ease could be very different from somebody who right now or in the past hasn't had those things or doesn't have those things. And to your point, like looking at the struggles that people are having based on where they live or the color of their skin or whatever other factors, it's all incredibly relative the sense of control that I feel, I guess, or like the optimism is a better way of saying it is, is just believing that there's enough people doing good in the world that we can make a shift. And it is sad that we see some of the horrible things happening that people are doing one another to one another and the war and the destruction. And, you know, you could also look at the whole COVID situation is fascinating because for the most part, I feel like we're going to make it through. There's a lot of positivity and progress, but we just keep going through these different states of experiences and a lot of people thinking like, ooh, the pandemic's almost over. And that's part of my anxiety, Jason. I'm like, I don't feel comfortable trusting that it's almost over. Like, I feel like people get a little too optimistic in that sense. Like it's interesting, like with the pandemic, for example, like generally I feel optimistic. Like I'm not like, this is the end of humanity, but, but I also didn't lose anyone close to me where some people did. Like I know a number of people who have lost family members from COVID, you know, and it's really sad. I know people that have had COVID and had really bad symptoms and might be, affected by COVID for the rest of their lives. And I didn't have those firsthand experiences, which gives me a very different perspective on all of this. We talked about compassion fade too. It's like, there's a lot of psychological reasons why we feel certain ways, optimistic and pessimistic. And I feel kind of both at the same time with COVID. Like I, I noticed Jason that one of my like i guess pessimisms pessimistic characteristics is like i generally have trouble trusting trusting myself and other people 
and I've been working on it. That's been one of my big words for 2021 is working on being more trusting and at least acknowledging. So with the pandemic, for example, here we are in in mid-May 2021, and the CDC just said, like, people that are fully vaccinated don't have to wear masks. I'm not fully, I'm not vaccinated yet. I'm planning on it just for update for our regular listeners because we've talked about the vaccines. I I did a lot of research and reflection and I decided that based on what I've learned and based on what I'm planning to do in 2021, it makes the most sense for me to get the vaccine and the, the pros greatly outweighed the cons for me. So I've scheduled my appointment and I'm planning on it and I feel good about it after lots and lots of questioning and reflecting. So I have heard from people that they feel very different after they're fully vaccinated. I guess like right now I feel vulnerable, Jason. I feel vulnerable because I don't trust the average person to keep my safety in mind. Like I I actually have realized through the pandemic that even though I'm like, it's interesting, right? Cause it doesn't fully make sense when I say it out loud. Like, even though I feel optimistic, I don't trust the average person to be great with their health. And if they're not good with their health, like, do they care to be mindful of mine? And that's the big thing with the pandemic. Like I have noticed that I don't trust most people when it comes to COVID. I have imagined whether this is right or it's not about right or wrong. It's just my perspective. Like, I don't trust that people are being mindful enough to protect themselves and thus to protect me. I think there's so much ignorance around COVID and I've been very cautious about it. And thus, that's part of the reason, like getting the vaccine. I'm like, okay, that's still, I believe, cautious because I'm doing something to protect myself and others. But it's like, oh, maybe this will relieve some of my anxiety getting the vaccine. And I think that's why a lot of people have gotten the vaccine without even questioning it, Jason. Like we've talked about the vaccine over the past few months. And it's like a lot of people wanted to get the vaccine as soon as possible because it was a sense of security for them. Part of the reason I was hesitant about the vaccine for a while is it's like, first of all, like it hasn't been out long enough and I needed to research more and wait. I wanted to wait a little bit to see. I wanted to see what was going on with variants. Like there's just so many unknowns and I didn't feel secure getting the vaccine. In fact, getting the vaccine made me feel insecure about what was going to happen to my body. And like, I didn't want to trust it, you know? So that trust was a big thing, but over time I started to feel more and more trusting of it. And that started to shift. But the mass thing right now, like as of today, May 15th, 2021, I'm curious about your perspective, Jason, but it makes me very uncomfortable hearing that. Like, basically, I think from what I understand, the CDC is saying, if you're fully vaccinated, you don't have to wear a mask, but you also don't have to prove that you're fully vaccinated, which means that anybody who's anti-mask could walk around without a mask And people will assume they're vaccinated, but they might not be. So we're going to have a mix of people not wearing masks. And someone like me, who's cautious about COVID, feels vulnerable because I don't know if these people are not wearing a mask because they're anti-mask or because they're fully vaccinated, which means someone like me 
would feel more comfortable asking, but I feel uncomfortable asking because like people's perspectives on COVID can trigger really uncomfortable conversations. <laughs> so I'm like, great. That situation of the CDC saying you don't have to wear a mask if you're vaccinated, I think makes someone like me more anxious. And that's part of the reason like I'm like, well, I better get the vaccine then because I don't want to be at risk not knowing why somebody is not wearing their mask, if that makes sense. And that's, again, like my point bringing this up is that that's indicating to me that I don't have a lot of trust on other human beings, <laughs> which I guess is kind of pessimistic. Yeah. I vacillate between having my faith restored in humanity and having it completely stripped away. I feel like nearly every single day I will read a story about something really wonderful, which I think is important to find in a lot of the devastation that's taking place on the planet is finding stories of kindness, finding stories of compassion, finding stories of generosity, because those elements of the human spirit, those elements of our interactions with other sentient beings are not gone. They're not gone. There's an incredible amount of love and compassion and generosity. But then inevitably, you know, I'll see another story about someone at a gas station spitting on people <laughs> and causing fights because they cut in line to get gas because of all the fear of the gas shortages. And I don't know, Whitney, it's, it's tough because on the one hand, if we don't have some level of trust in society, then we kind of our, we're just kind of floating in the abyss, so to speak. And, and I think maybe one of the reasons that if we're talking about trust as an offshoot of psychoses is we have a massive amount of distrust in government right now. We have a massive amount of distrust in politics and foreign policy and financial policy, how certain political figures or states or governors have handled the vaccine rollout, the pandemic. I mean, if you think about it, there's a lot of mistrust on the planet right now. And the thing that I wonder about is as the world transitions whenever the hell that's going to be to a post-pandemic world or whatever new version of human society we're going into. It's interesting. Like I, I find myself around strangers. I noticed this the other day, like when I'm in a grocery store as an example, right? And I don't go to the grocery store that often, but I go when I need things, toilet paper. Okay. I will notice myself and yes, part of it is like, I think the conditioning of like six foot distance, but I find that if people get, quote, too close to me, like, I, I'm really, like, I, like, walk around people and do, I don't know. My curiosity is, like, how is my behavior going to continue around other groups of humans, especially thinking about something like a trade show or a concert or playing a show or a birthday gathering. My birthday's coming up. You know, I, I was thinking about that the other day, Whitney, of, like, you know, you've thrown me some of the most incredible parties ever over the years. You've been to so many of them. I don't feel like doing anything this year. Like I don't I, like being around people makes me fucking nervous. And I don't like that feeling because I'm, I'm worried that I'm in some ways and I joke about this, but I'm also kind of serious. I'm worried I'm becoming a misanthrope. Like that part of me is like, ugh, fucking humans, ugh, get away from me. Not that I'm being anti-human. 
but you know misanthropic in the sense of like not wanting to be around people not wanting to hang out with people kind of being just like averse to humans like averse to being around people and that's weird like i haven't felt this level of misanthropy my entire life it's it's a weird feeling and maybe that's extreme but i don't think it is because sometimes i'll be like you know, sometimes as an example, I'll see like certain neighbors on my block and I know if I walk by, they'll want to talk to me and I take Bella in the opposite direction because I don't even want to see them or speak to them, you know, and I'm worried that I'm becoming like averse to humans. Really, I am because I feel weird about being around people and I don't think on some level that's healthy. Do you feel that at all? Is this extreme? Like, because I feel like my, my level of trust, just piggybacking on your comment is probably part of this. Like, I just find myself not wanting to be around people. And it, it kind of scares me. Yeah, I completely relate. I mean, there are different levels to it. And I'm hoping that it's going to pass because before COVID, I didn't mind being in, in crowds. I like being kind of lost in crowds. I don't like having to interact. Like, I like to choose whether or not I get to say something like, I mean, I think about going to concerts and things like just being there in a group of people didn't bother me. In fact, it was fun. You could feed off the energy being at the trade shows, which I plan to go to later this year. Another reason why I'm going to get the vaccine. I want to be around that energy, that buzz that other people have. But like, I also need to have like set my own boundaries and I think part of my trust with other people, Jason, a lot of it's coming out of my judgments around other people's intelligence and not from this like hierarchy, but just that I tend to trust people less when I feel like they have not done their research, for example. It really bothers me when people make statements that aren't backed in research or or statements that are like reinforced by their biases and I really try to check my own biases and stay open-minded and do research and admit when I don't know about things and explore with other people but one thing I don't like is when somebody seems either there's two types of people that I really don't trust one is when they aren't open-minded and they state something and they say it's the absolute. So triggering for me, especially if I have information that says otherwise. You know, like some when somebody says always, never, you know, this is the best way. This is the only way. Like those statements. And occasionally I use them and I try not to. But. When I hear people saying that, and especially if they're questioned and they still don't shift or they don't have a way to back it up, I'm the person that will question it. And I'll be like, hey, can you just show me like, where did you learn that from? I challenge, I'll challenge it. And I don't, I, it's uncomfortable for me to challenge. The times where I get confidence to challenge somebody is when I have information or I found information and I, I want to like clarify it and it just makes me so uncomfortable when somebody won't like flow with it, you know, and ignorance when somebody doesn't know something, but they maybe do it anyways. Like, I think that's been the most triggering for me with COVID is people that will say or do things without like, 
using research to back up those decisions that I feel like is dangerous. You know, it's like, oh, well, I'm just going to go with my gut feeling. I or go with whatever I want to do or I feel is right to do. It's just not the way that I personally operate. So it makes me uncomfortable seeing other people operate that way. You know, I'm trying not to necessarily judge it. I'm just admitting that 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 triggers my trust issues. This came up recently in a conversation with somebody who was trying to decide about interacting socially. And I was like, well, do you trust all the other people that you're interacting with? And through the conversation, I recognize I don't have a lot of trust in other people. Like being in a group of people until I'm vaccinated, I don't, I'm going to avoid that because I don't trust that the other people in the group have the same perspectives on COVID or similar enough to me to feel comfortable with them. I personally don't want to be around people that like without masks on and I don't want to get close to them. And I, it's like, maybe you could see it as paranoid, but like I, my health is important to me. And I also don't want to feel, I don't want to be in like stuck inside because I don't know if I have COVID or not. And then you have to go get a test. All this stuff I went through last year in 2020, (laughs) it was so much work and exhausting, you know? And that in itself caused me to like, a lot of trust issues came to the surface during my travels. And I was like, I just feel based at the end of the day, Jason, I feel like insecure and not like insecure. And I think a superficial level, like a literally feeling like my security with my health and my responsibility with my health in terms of spreading it to others. I value both of those so much. I take other people's health so seriously and my health so seriously that I wanted to guard it. And those are part of my core values. You know, it's like going back to something we've discussed this before. Like, what do you deeply value? You and I, Jason, we both value our health. And I felt like COVID was a emotional attack on our our mental health and it was like this creepy oh my gosh I could get COVID just by walking outside my home like that's a very sad insecurity not everybody felt a lot of people were like oh COVID's not real or oh the chances of getting COVID are so slim like I'm comfortable going out and just like risking it but my risk tolerance is very different than others and that I guess is what it comes down to too Jason it's like not feeling like a match. Like it almost be like nice if you could wear a badge that like told you if I could see like, oh, you have the same risk tolerance as me. I feel more comfortable with you. (laughs) You know, like that would help me trust others. But because there were so many nuances and what people's decisions and actions and risks that they were taking all of those things during COVID, that is what led me to feel less trusting. And I feel like it's similar in the sense of like the environment, which you brought up, Jason. It's like I do have this optimism, this hope that enough people are doing work on the environment. But sometimes I get really pessimistic when I see what people I know are doing and like how casually people buy and throw away things. How many people like participate in fast fashion and fast food and, you know, gas cars that, you know, and like all, you know, even like learning more about cryptocurrency, 
and seeing like how harsh Bitcoin is on the environment, the amount of money that's in Bitcoin and like just all these little things that add up. And most people, it seems like they just don't think about it. They don't care enough. That will cause me to feel really pessimistic, Jason. But yet at the same time, I have this optimism that somehow enough people will make up for that. And I I guess I feel that way about COVID as well. It's like the herd immunity concept of like, okay, I believe right now in May 2021 that enough people will either get the vaccine or take care of themselves. Like, you know, and I'm not, I'm honestly in that in-between state of pro and anti-vax, like, I swing more towards the pro, obviously, because I decided to get it, but I'm not like at that pressure point or that judgment of people being one way or the other, I suppose. I'm just like, just take care of yourself. Please be responsible and know that you have an impact on other people. And I hope that enough people will do whatever it takes for their health and for the environment and these global issues that we face if like enough people could just take care of themselves in whatever like deep thoughtful way that was for them that would be enough to make a change i think one of the biggest concerns i have is that a lot of human beings want the quick fix the band-aid just give me the damn thing so i can move on with my life so when i see all the memes floating around and the TikTok videos about people making fun of the fact that in a lot of states now, they'll buy you like a fast food meal if you get vaccinated. Have you seen this? Right? They're like, oh yeah, you get you get a Big Mac and you, you get a Whopper, you get this, you get that. Because that's exactly what we need for our immunity. Here, get a vaccine and here's a combo meal from McDonald's to wash it down. You know, could we have, and and I'm just going to speak freely, could we have any more of a diametrically opposed, fucked up set of messaging than that? Here's a thing to boost your immunity. Actually, wait a second. Here's a whole bunch of chemicals and GMOs and processed food to help suppress it again. It makes absolutely no fucking sense. It makes zero sense. If we were, again, I'm not anti-vax. So before you send the hate fucking messages, okay, I'm just saying This is a very confusing, perplexing set of actions and principles. If you care about people's immunity, why are you putting this shit chemical food in their bodies or encouraging them? That's what I mean. It's like, (laughs) if we were really concerned about our immunity, we wouldn't be eating those things. Okay? I'm just going to say it. Not throwing any, I'm not shaming anyone for, but if you were really concerned about your health, you wouldn't be having a fucking combo meal. Okay? So that that's my thing is like, I have to laugh at it because it's like, yeah, yeah, I got the jab. I'm going to go get the McRib. Hell yeah. It's like, I don't get this. I don't get. So when you say take care of yourself, Whitney, my concern is that the vaccine is giving people a false sense of security in the sense that they can keep on doing things that are suspect for their health. I'm not even going to say suspect, okay? Eating fast food and combo meal, it's bad for your health, okay? It's like, I know I don't like to get into binary judgments of right, wrong. Eating a combo meal and a fast food meal, it's not doing great things for your immune system. 
Okay. It's inflammatory. It's putting chemicals in your body. Your body has to fight it off. So it's like if your body's already building an immune tolerance to COVID through the vaccine, and then you're dumping all this crappy food on top that your body's got to deal with the inflammation. It's maddening to me. It makes no sense. I'm saying that just because we kind of veered off into trust. And that's when I'm like, yeah, I don't know that we're all that really concerned with people's long-term health for real, for real, you know? Like, are we, cause maybe instead of the value meal, we could give people like, I don't know, a smoothie after their vax or like some chia pudding or something that's actually good for them. <laughs> and on a totally different note, I saw a tweet today that the governor of Ohio was doing a lottery that some random person is going to get a million dollars after they get vaccinated. And it's like, is vaccine hesitancy that huge that we have to be giving away a million dollars? Like for real. And also, do you have to be a resident of Ohio? Because I might I might move there for my chance to win a million dollars. Not worth it. Not worth it. Sorry. Sorry, Ohio. Sorry, Ohio. Yeah, I, I mean, all of this is a complicated, evolving thing. And I, I wish that we could take away more of the stigma of having these conversations because maybe that would help us have more compassion and less judgment, knowing that a lot of these are actually tying us together. You know, that's why I'm really trying not to like take sides. I don't, I just don't like taking sides in general, as I've said many times. And I, I think the trust, the trust trigger is a big thing. You know, it it's trust is again, rooted in our ability to feel secure and when somebody does something that, that we perceive as unsafe, we can be very judgmental and untrusting of them. And I try to stop myself and examine it and, and really just ask myself why. Like, okay, well, that doesn't make this person bad. That just means they have different values or perspectives, education, belief systems, like all of that, you know, adds up. And it's easy to become really pessimistic and want to just perceive humanity as a whole to be a certain way and untrustworthy. It's like you, I think if you have enough experiences of people that you don't trust or experiences of people where you lost trust for them, you can start to lump everybody into those categories. And thus it feels hard to just operate in, in your life, let alone sleep. I mean, I think, you know, sleep is a huge, huge issue for people in general it's a i mean there the amount of products that exist to help people sleep indicate that a lot if not most people struggle with sleep in one way or another even someone like me like i can easily fall asleep i can easily wake up i get 8 8 8 or 9 hours consistently it sounds like i have great sleep health but why do i talk in my sleep why do i walk in my sleep sometimes why do i sit in that anxious Hypno, Gogia, or whatever, Goji Berry state. <laughs> I don't know. What's with that? There's something there. Like, I, it's worth examining. And there's also the flip side of it, to your point, Jason. Like, I think that's another takeaway is maybe you can be simultaneously anxious and happy, fearful and trusting, trusting and untrusting, optimistic, and pessimistic. Like that's another thing I'm recognizing. Like if you were to just straight up ask me or people that know me, I think optimism would be a word that I would use for myself and others would use about me. 
But clearly, I have pessimisms and trust issues that may be part of what I push down. And, you know, that's they're part of the anxiety crew, the Muppets down there. It's like dancing around in there is the, the pessimistic Muppets as well, shaking their tambourines. Is that the term? Tambourine? I haven't said that word in a long time. That's what that's called? Tambourine. Aha. Okay. That didn't feel feel quite right. Tambourine. Tambourines. What are those other like rattle type uh, instruments? Maracas. Yeah. What other instruments would the Muppets be playing down there, Jason? What do you envision? Oh, I don't know. I don't know why. I just imagine them shaking things in their hand. They'd be playing that instrument. One would be playing the drums like the like animal, right? The Muppet. Oh, 100%. He, he plays the drums. 100% animal would be there on the skins. They would also, one of the Muppets would be playing that instrument. It's a percussion instrument that sounds like a frog and it goes. What is the name of the, I I heard this years ago and I completely forgot. There's an actual name for that thing. But the thing that, you know, it's usually shaped like a frog, whatever that is. I feel like we need to look that up. I'm not even sure what a Google search. Frog-shaped percussive instrument with you're looking it up, aren't you? Oh yeah, and all I typed was frog in- instrument and found it right away. What's the name of it? I mean, a lot of people just call them percussion frogs, but Guiro, G-U-I-R-O, is that That's it. it. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Yes. Yes. So one of them would be just, just, and it would probably be a frog-shaped Muppet playing himself, herself, itself, they self. What if the Muppet had that built into it and somehow was able to play its own spine? (laughs) They didn't need an instrument. (laughs) They were long stick a very long stick (laughs) i am my own instrument that's pretty funny that's who's living in your mind huh whitney interesting yep well ryan i hope uh, that this satisfied your desire a good segue actually something that kind of looks like one of those instruments funny enough jason is the product that i'm going to shout out today It also ties into the environmental optimism I have because of products like this. This is called The Last Swab. If you're listening to the podcast, you can go to our YouTube channel and see the visuals behind the products Jason and I are going to talk about. This is The Last Swab, and it pops open like this. And similar to the instrument that Jason was just referring to, inside you will find a ribbed Q-tip alternative that you could probably use as an instrument. It doesn't actually make sounds, but it kind of is similar to that frog instrument that Jason just talked about if you look that up. So anyways, this is the last swab. It's designed to be an alternative to Q-tips or Q-tip is the um, name brand. What is this actually called? A cotton swab. Cotton swab. Thus, last swab. Thank you. So, yes, you use this in any way that you would use a cotton swab. Now, a lot of people associate that with cleaning out their ears. You can use this for that. Although I think the brands are not allowed to encourage you to clean out your ears with a swab because it can be dangerous. But you certainly could use it for that. Some people use these for makeup, for cleaning various things, like whatever you want to do. And then you just clean this 
with water and soap and then put it back in its little case. It's very satisfying how it snaps in. And then good sounds. And I got this through the Goddess Provisions box, which is something I get every month. And they are often brilliant in their curation. This was the um, Earth Magic box. Was that May 2021? I think I just got this. And also came, ooh, you know what else was in there that I love? I kept this on my desk, this candle. Also very satisfying to open. It smells incredible and it's got a chunk of rose quartz in it. And then they sent this lovely gemstone infused roll-on essential oil combo, which I have on my desk and really nice socks. This is a good box. So it's a two in one, one, two, three, four in one shout out, I suppose. I got all of this in Goddess Provisions box. I'm shouting out the last swab and also giving a shout out to this lovely candle, which is made from a company called Insight Editions. And this gemstone roll on is from a company called Gemstone Organic. It smells so good. And I, I like Goddess Provisions. They generally, they're all vegan products and usually very eco-conscious products. So it's a nice little gift that I get every month and it's nice for my mental health, I think. Okay. So speaking of hypnagogy berries, this just came out two days ago. I'm super excited about it. Goji Berties, Jason. Goji Berties. Shout out to any longtime Facebook fans here who remember that one on a live stream from years ago. So I literally just got this. This is from a brand called Sunwink, hidden name Winks. And Sunwink, I was first introduced with you, Whitney, when we were on a trip to the fancy food show in San Francisco. Two or three years ago, we went to a really great restaurant and they had these sparkling beverages from Sunwink. I've been enjoying their beverages. These are actually a powder. These are their new superfood powder mixes. They have a beauty fruit punch with raspberry, pineapple, acai, goji berry, and amla. And all organic, zero fat, only one gram of sugar. And the cool thing is they're donating 2% of their sales going back to organizations that are changing the world. So I'm actually going to try this out today for the first time with the Sunwink beverage and put them together. And then they also have a second superfood powder, which is a digestion lemonade. This is lemon, pineapple, amla berry, chicory, and dandelion, which is great for detox. Again, fully organic. It's an on-the-go powder that you can take wherever you want. And I just love, I love how clean Sunwing's products are. Even their sparkling beverages, the label's just so clean. Let me stop you there. Use two words that can be very triggering for people in the wellness world, clean and detox. Can you use some synonyms for those? Because clean it in, implies that food is dirty, A. Eh? Yes. And detox people get triggered by because do you really need to detox? So beyond the branding of the wellness world, Jason, how else would you describe? I think instead of detox, I would use cleansing. It has a cleansing effect. Dandelion does. And also they're fully certified organic with no fillers and no preservatives and no artificial ingredients. So eco-friendly and unprocessed or less Correct. processed? Correct. Yes. So I'm going to do a little test with both of these later today. 
the lemonade and the fruit punch and add them to, like I said, the Sunwink beverages and do a little, uh, do a little alchemy and see how they taste. So I'm excited because I literally just got these in the mail and they've only been out for a day and a half. And so they're brand new. So I'm excited about Sunwing because I dig the company and I'm excited to try these out. So that's my shout outs. Yeah. With that, Ryan, thank you for the amazing suggestion of talking about what keeps us up at night because that veered into all kinds of wonderful directions here on the episode. So thank you for that suggestion. For you, dear listener, if you have anything that is, again, burning in your soul that you want us to discuss and explore and research and pontificate upon, you can shoot us a direct email. It's hello at wellevator.com. That is also our hub, our website, where you will find amazing free resources, video trainings, our courses like Wellness Warrior Training and the Consistency Code, and of course, the show notes and the transcript for this episode and all of our previous episodes of This Might Get Uncomfortable. Everything is found at wellevator.com, W-E-L-L-E-V-A-T-R.com. New episodes come out Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays. Mark your calendar, subscribe to the podcast, review us on Apple Podcasts, share it with your friends. When you do, we will hook you up with a value meal at McNuck Kidding. We won't give you a value meal. We won't. We won't do that. We will just let you decide what's good for your own body and not try and force food that you may not like upon you as a bribe. We're not going to bribe you. We I will bribe say, you with though, our love. When I heard that Shake Shack was giving away French fries, I was intrigued. And that's why I signed up to get the vaccine. I'm just kidding. But certainly, if I'm going to get the vaccine, like, I'll, I'll get some French fries. Because, like, I probably want some comfort food when I'm get after the second dose feeling like shit, as I've heard. Although I also have heard plenty of people get the second dose and don't really feel that bad. So fingers crossed. I'll be sure to share my experience when it happens. Well, I'm sure that will be a future episode. So stay tuned for that. Stay tuned for everything because we have some incredible human beings coming on this podcast. We always have great guests with a lot of interesting perspectives on money, rest, health, doing nothing, (laughs) doing something, spirituality, life purpose, mental health. We're covering a lot of ground here on This Might Get Uncomfortable. So stick with us. Stay tuned for more amazingness. And again, thanks to Ryan and thanks to all of our longtime listeners and fans for all your great suggestions, for sharing this, for your feedback, all the good mojo. We love and appreciate you. So until next time, thanks for getting uncomfortable with us. And we'll see you soon with another episode of the podcast. Bye. Thanks for listening and getting out of your comfort zone with us today. For show notes and more high-performance resources to help you thrive, go to wellevator.com. That's W-E-L-L-E-V-A-T-R.com.